There are some industries, finance, insurance, and telecom come to mind, that are so big and so regulated that they just seem insurmountable. Yes, they could all be better, much better, but where do you start? This week's guest is Bill Alcorn, founder of BikeFlights.com. He tackled another giant, complicated segment, shipping, in order to make it easier and cheaper for cyclists to ship their bikes to events, races, or just ahead of them for a long weekend with friends. And when I say cheaper, I mean a lot cheaper. So how did he build an incredible customer service and benefits layer on top of FedEx's existing network while talking them into offering rates as low as half of standard ground shipping? That answer and much more in this interview. by Tyler Benedict that explores the startup stories and growth tactics of hundreds of entrepreneurs, plus his own tips and tricks learned over two decades of launching, running, and growing businesses, including BikeRumor.com, the world's largest and most popular cycling tech blog. If you're thinking of starting your own business, the Build Cycle will give you the tools and inspiration to do it right. Now, let's dive into this episode of The Build Cycle. This episode is brought to you by Health IQ. As you're about to hear, sometimes it just takes asking the question, what if? Health IQ did just that when their founders asked, what if healthy people could pay lower rates for their life insurance? Stay tuned to hear how they've done it and how that benefits you. But now, sit back, because this episode's about to take flight. So Bill, you started Bike Flights in 2009 as a platform to facilitate bicycle shipments for cyclists from point A to point B, whether they're going to a race or meeting some buddies for a weekend somewhere remote and awesome to ride. And I'm really kind of curious, where did this idea come from? I had been a bike rider for most of my life and had been heavily involved in the travel space the last 10 years, working, managing e-commerce for a number of different startups. The idea between mixing what I knew and what my passion was, it was a nice time in my life. I was hitting my 40s and I was looking to do something different. And I had the opportunities, a brief opportunity or a brief window to try it. And that's really where the idea for bike flights came as saying, hey, can we help people travel with their bikes, get bikes anytime that somebody needs to get a bike from point A to point B, whether it's for a sale, for a trip, for you know a bucket list event. Can we make that process easier than they could do it themselves or schlepping their bike through the airport because that process at that time 10 years ago that was second bag was $15 time and now look where that is you know so it it became much more of a hassle to bring anything with you on a plane yeah and so the idea was born we started really small just trying to build it we built it we refined it, refined it, refined it until we really started marketing it about three to four years ago. Yeah. So was this because you were traveling with your bike a lot or you just had a bunch of friends always complaining about it? Both. I've done a number of different bike trips where I would bring my bike internationally or just traveling across the U.S. And it was a big pain. And flying in and out of some of the old legacy airports throughout Europe, you check your bag, you check your bike, and then all of a sudden they give those all back to you. and 
it's not an easy thing with a bike bag and a backpack, you know, like a huge army size or Navy size backpack to meander through the streets in and out of the subways, just even out of the stairs. Europe really isn't set up that way, right? It's not like, hey, it's a nice ramp right out to the curb. And so we'd done a number of trips and we looked at the space to see, has anybody really taken a look at like a cycling centric bike transport model? And the answer we found was not really, or the ones that we did find, we really didn't like how they were done. If you were on their route, they would pick up your bike and drive it. Or the shipping options that were available at the time were 20% more than you would ship it yourself for. And so we really saw an opportunity to build something around that, something that we would use, you know, initially was a little bit of a means to an end, build it for ourselves, test it, see how it will work, and then roll it out to other people. So part of it was there was a viable business after building this and shipping our first couple hundred bikes. The comments we would get back, there were a lot of high fives. They were like really heartfelt kudos and thank you for helping me get my bike. You really solved the problem. I'd worked in a number of different industries. You didn't really get that a lot. And so it really kind of helped fuel the continued evolution of the concept. Yeah. And what was that original concept of vision? You mentioned prior that it was a very full service type thing and that you guys have actually scaled that back. So maybe you can tell us what was that original concept and what have you changed in the almost 10 years that you've been doing this? The original concept was a full travel services for cyclists because there really wasn't anybody addressing the whole picture from airline tickets, hotels, advising what airlines to fly, who had the best bike policies, or going out and finding the most bike-friendly hotels as you traveled. One's using some of our expertise and having traveled with our bikes, really trying to relay that across, along with offering like things like trip insurance. And so like it was a really, from A to Z, offering And working with tour providers and things like that to really kind of just make it all one big package. And that was kind of the original big picture. But as we got into this, we had the realization and and it was something actually is one of the things that you we knew the whole time. You just didn't really hit us that most people save up as many points or like they travel for work and then they burn their credit card miles or their airline miles for purchasing airline tickets. So even though we had built a flight engine, we're selling like one or two airline tickets a week because the channels for that decision, that purchase can't come through us. And we quickly realized that. And it's like, no, a cyclist, you're going to use your airline miles or you're going to use your thing. And those things are booked directly with the airline. So we're not going to sell any airline tickets. And it's a really long behavioral change process to convince somebody that they really should buy trip insurance when they go on a trip, especially if you're going mountain biking in Argentina, that you really should have some protection that basically will get you air vac to the U.S. should you tear off your thumb, which happened for some of our initial customers. We were working with Sacred Rides and helping them get people, you know, the proper amount of protection because some of their trips, I mean, you're really remote. If something happens in remote, you know, it's really expensive. So we worked through a lot of that and we realized it was just not something we could scale. While all these things were really vital, they were top of funnel, top of decisions. We were started to engage people so far up in the process that the cycle by which somebody would come back and decide that they're like, I should buy this could be months, six months. And that was really 
from a business standpoint, it's really hard to build an economic model around that. Yeah, it seems like it would probably eat up a lot of customer service time too with questions and all this stuff. Customer service time and revenue model was trying to come up with some sort of revenue model for changing someone's behavior. You're going to be really hungry, you know, trying to monetize that. And so we had gone to Interbike in 2009 with some screenshots of what this all looks like. By early 2010, we had a lot of traction in our bicycle shipping service. At the time, it seemed like a lot, not in our airlines, not in our insurance product and things like that. But we had a lot of traction in our bicycle shipping service comparatively. And that's really what we focused in on because that is what we saw the largest opportunity to really serve customers because they had already made their airline ticket reservations or they had just sold their bike online and they were trying to get their bike to someplace where they would pick it up. And so we looked at that model and said, okay, how can we really hit shipping from a cyclist perspective? How can we look at this from the event director's perspective? How can we serve small events? How can we serve big events? How can we serve three ladies going to do a ride together from three different parts of the country? Will our model serve those people? And the answer was not right out of the box, but how can we customize, how can we build the infrastructure and the scaffolding around FedEx bicycle shipping, right? Really, is because the core is the FedEx network. And then how can we make that work exactly how a cyclist would want to? What were you doing before the FedEx? Was it always FedEx or it sounds like this kind of narrowing it down to that was a in-process decision after you'd already launched? Yeah, we had always worked with FedEx as our shipping partner. Deciding to get rid of all the clutter, that's what we called it after a while because yes, we had built insurance engines and a flight engine and things. And that was some of the baggage that we brought into the concept initially. Because that was my background. It's like we sold airline tickets and travel insurance and things like that. And I'm like, well, we could do that with cycles. And then we also then built a shipping engine. And the number one thing, because the airlines kept making it harder and harder to get your bike around, and it wasn't easy to ship your bike or have the same, get a great shipping experience when you ship your bike. We look to say, this is an area that we, we focus on, we can really improve. And so I worked to get the local FedEx rep. At the time, we started in Pennsylvania in State College. We put about 20 different bike boxes in the backyard of my house. We had them over. We had bikes packed. We basically said, this is the kind of thing that we're looking to ship. How can we work with you guys to make this a better process? We started by looking at the containers and the types of bikes that we felt that we would ship and their sizes and weights. And we really went from there and worked it backwards, knowing that this is what's going to go through the system, what kind of hurdles or looking at the process from start to finish or from finish to start, you'll identify different places where things can go wrong based on the type of commodity that you're shipping. And then we just work to come up with solutions to prevent those things from happening. Or if we do, work it backwards so that we said, okay, let's minimize those things from happening. You were never going to eliminate them, that type of thing. Yeah. So that kind of starts to answer one of my questions, which is how do you convince somebody huge, like this global giant of shipping, like FedEx, to actually care about what you're doing when you might, you know, I don't know what your early numbers are, but I imagine, you know, maybe a couple hundred bikes a month. In the grand scheme of things for them, that's small potatoes. So why did they even care to talk to you? In 2010, we shipped a little over 500 bikes total for the year. Like total. Once we got 
our local rep buy-in, we really painted a picture of where this could go. And we convinced them to take a risk on cyclists because it was an underserved audience. At the time, airlines weren't necessarily charging for golf clubs or skis, but they would charge you for a bike. There is some economic reason to that. Skis don't cost that much. $1,000 for a set of skis. You can bang them off of rocks and you don't really get hurt. Golf clubs are pretty compact, pretty easy to carry. Bikes are really expensive, lightweight things that don't really handle side loads very well, right? And have a lot of different parts that stick off. You can understand the economic model behind it. You might not agree with it, but you can understand why they do charge for things like that. If you have a damage claim of 4% of bags on a plane. But from our standpoint, we reached out to FedEx. We pitched our case. There's a tremendous opportunity here in a very underserved market. And we promised a lot. You know, we promised a lot. We took the approach where we set a number of small goals. We worked really hard to attain those goals. And the thing that I can equate it to, FedEx wasn't always necessarily bought in, but we kind of positioned bike flights and FedEx together much the same way that you might work with a venture capital company. You pitch them a big idea and they have to buy into that big idea. But along the way, there's a lot of milestones that if you meet, and people agree on this big idea, but it's not like I didn't ask FedEx for $20 million and then I'll build this, right? That type of thing. I said that we're going to ship 500 bikes a year, 500 bikes a month, 1,000 bikes a month, you know, all the way up. Along the way, we basically reached an agreement that as we grew and we demonstrated that we would be able to develop an audience of cyclists that we were incentivized. So we've earned our discounts a long way. So we've earned their support because believe in this idea and make an investment in it, but it's an earned investment. And each time you earn your next level of discounts or you earn your next contract, you know, and that's the approach we've used and it's worked well you know, it just so happens that cycling, you know, the cycling season in North America is generally opposite their busiest time as well. So their busiest time is the holidays. And that's when everybody's, you know, eating and maybe at the trainer. But our busiest season is between Memorial Day and Labor Day. So you guys have this system where a cyclist can log on, punch in where they need their bike to get to by a certain day or from by a certain day and put in the weight dimensions and you guys have built out a system where you can kind of pick and choose which container you have and it automatically pre-populates the dimensions and all that so it does some of the work for you to make your life a little bit easier but you know in my mind the biggest draw is that you have a pretty substantial discount like what other features do you layer on top of something versus me just going into the fedex store and shipping it from there we layer a number of different sources a negotiated rate is definitely price is the number one thing that people look for especially in an online service. We have substantial savings. But on top of that, customer comes to us. They don't have a bike. We work with over 1,200 different bike shops that we can say, drop your bike off. We arrange packing services for them. We've got packing guides if you don't know how to pack it, but maybe just want to buy a box and pack it yourself. So we do have an online system that's super easy to use. It's enabled. Use a Google lookup. You can type in your local bike shop's name, Go into a, the hotel in you know Rochester, and it'll look it up using Google Location Services, put in your addresses for you, saving you from going back and forth to Google. 
to try to do those lookups. As you mentioned, we have preloaded almost every single travel bike travel case in there. So you don't have to go out to your garage and measure it. So we've really tried to make the online form in ordering easy. From the time you place your order to the time your bike's delivered, we also have teams, if you need to change something, it's no problem. You don't have to rebook anything. Just you know, give us a call, chat us up. We'll easily make a change and spool you a new label as necessary and get you on your way. From the time that thing ships, your bike ships, to the time it's delivered, we're tracking it over seven times an hour. It's making sure that it moves because there are a number of issues that can happen along the way. And bikes going to an event, you know, or if you sold your bike, you're emotionally invested in making sure that that thing gets there. So we're sitting there monitoring and tracking it so you don't have to. And then expedite as needed. And then, you know, in the case that something does accidentally happen to your bike, we also have our own premium protection plan that you can't undo the likelihood that something could get damaged during shipping. But we knew we couldn't do that. You know, we can tell you how to pack and things like that, but there's always built into the system. So we built a system, built a plan that said, if something bad happens, we can get you up and back on your bike in a number of weeks, settle your claim versus months. And we worked with a number of different insurance companies and we worked with a number of different carriers. And while everybody promised that, it never really worked. So a couple of years ago, we moved that in-house and the response has been fantastic. So you guys are your own underwriter for that. Yeah. You know, like I know extended warranties and protection plants and stuff like that tend to be a big profit driver for stores like Best Buy and stuff like that. Is that similar for you? Is that a big profit center? It's a big customer satisfaction center. From our standpoint, bikes are extremely expensive. It definitely helps your bottom line, but if you're going to an event and your bike gets damaged, say you didn't take your rear derailleur off and it got bent. You call us, we get you a new derailleur, get you a new hanger. Someone has trained possibly a year, maybe two years for this event. So it allows us to do things that carriers can't. It allows us to serve the customers as the way that we want to be served. Right. So those parts, if somebody breaks them, you got to ship them a new part. You're not stocking a wide variety of parts. No, we'll send you to a local bike shop as needed. We can always overnight a part. Like if you're in the middle of the Adirondacks, you know, you can't get something. It allows us to do some stuff that nobody else could do. And so if you send them to a local bike shop, you just call in the shop ahead of time and say, we're going to pay for this part. So-and-so is coming in and getting it. Yeah. It's like we've called in a credit card and say, hey, this person needs X, Y, Z. That's cool. And that's really from the fact that we're all cyclists. I mean, like everybody that's involved with bike flights rides a bike. They're not all the same types of bikes. We've got some folks that are just commute back and forth. We've got some folks that are national mountain bike champions. We've got X-Track people. We've got a number of different types of cyclists, if you will, that work throughout the different parts of the company. And so if it doesn't hold up, we're some of our toughest critics. And so we looked at one of the most uncomfortable situations is if your bike actually got damaged during shipment, how would we want it to be handled? We tried a number of things until we built our own. And again, the response has been fantastic. Yeah, my next question, funny enough, was how do you determine which features are needed? And it sounds like you know, you're know you basically creating a product and service that you guys would want trying to anticipate problems. Do you use customer feedback to come up with ideas? And if so, like what are maybe one or two things that your customers have suggested that you guys have implemented? Yes, we do. We read through. We've got about 10,000 plus reviews 
And before we launched our review, we've looked through our customer call logs. We have a contact management system that records things, you know, as far as audio go. We quarterly review these, you know, we review to make the products better. I mean, like that little blurb, you know, like, hey, this call may be recorded to improve customer. Like we actually do it. We do listen to those things. One of the features that people kept asking for, asking for, asking for was our profiles. Will you please allow us to create a profile so I don't have to type in all my information every time? And we were hesitant to do so until we could do it in a PCI compliant fashion and manner, right? We did not want to launch profiles and take the risk that somebody's data at bike flights would get stolen, right? Or compromised in any manner. So we waited for a long time until some of the technology was available and we released it. And we got a lot of thank yous after that because people could store their stuff. One of the other features that we're still in the process of is pulling off is for some new people that have never really shipped their bike, we have a bike shop finder. But how do we integrate the different bike shops that we work with? We're working right now on a way to do that. So like along the way, if you need packing in assistance, it prompts you as part of that ship path of here are some of our local partners. So that's coming. So that you wouldn't need to know what your local bike shops are. It'll just recommend one. Yeah, it would recommend some of them that are in your area. If you're traveling to Portland, right, and you're looking for a local shop that's in that part of town, we would be able to put that on there and do some more complex notification that say, hey, do you guys have a spot for assembly in your service thing? And so we're just trying to improve the different communications necessary along the way. Yeah, that's cool. I know who all my local bike shops are, but yeah, you're right. When you're shipping it somewhere, being able to just send it to the shop closest to where you're going to be makes a lot of sense. And it's not something you would know without having to, like you said, go off to Google Maps and figure that out for yourself. So that's pretty cool. From a back-end standpoint, kind of top level, but how do you even begin to build this customer interface and software system that then pulls in FedEx's system and everything else. Like, how do you marry the two? Is it a completely custom website for you guys? It is. We've wrote it from scratch because when we were getting into this 10 years ago, almost 10 years ago, the shopping carts weren't all that advanced. You know, there wasn't a big commerce at the time. You had a couple like .NET shopping cart or something like that. You know, like they're pretty basic features. Shopify, big commerce, Magenta, the large carts out there, they didn't really have that. And there weren't really electronic downloads as a product. Everything was available like some sort of physical product that included shipping. And so our product is actually shipping and you actually get an electronic document. So there wasn't really anything that fit our needs. So we built it all from scratch. When I started this company, I got really lucky in the fact that my former company was unwinding, right? And I was able to bring my developer and advertising guy and I pitched them the idea of like, hey, I'm doing my own thing. Are you guys interested? I had to sell two people that used to work for me about, hey, I'm going to go out and I'm going to build this bicycle shipping service versus a bike travel service. And they're like, okay, well, if you can get it going, we'll stick around. And, uh, so I was running around and did some consulting work to kind of keep funding this. But that was the key. You asked about like, what was the key to, you know, like, is it custom software? Yeah, it's custom software. And it's written by a group of, you know, like there's two folks that have been with me in the previous venture as well as this one that were really key to bring along because they're able to help not only build the piece of software that we have, 
I would design stuff and then I would give it to these guys, you know, to build. And then the other person would plug it in to the internet. If you build something, but nobody finds it, it's kind of a waste of time. It's like, hey, I've got this really cool project. Where is it? Nobody can find it. So those two guys have been integral in we've built stuff. We've rebuilt it. We've updated it. Web technology has greatly improved over the last 10 years. We spend an enormous amount of money keeping it on the latest technology every year and keeping it. It is, at the end of the day, it's the smarter mousetrap. We have a site that's faster to get rates and ship your bike than really any other website, including the carriers. You know, building in features like PayPal and other forms of payment, you can't do that on some of the carrier sites even. So it's really listening to customers and seeing where they are and building those features. And if you're just trying to use an off-the-shelf product, it's really hard to meet their needs. That said, we do look at how does our app talk to those other web applications. And so that's an exciting opportunity, future opportunities. How does bikeflights.com talk to Shopify or talk to big commerce or talk to Magenta? So that something that is being sold on a different website could include bike flights, bike shipping. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. It seems like a great way to expand your audience without a whole lot of extra marketing on your end. What size team do you have now and how has that grown? Like what positions have you needed to fill as you've grown? We have 26 different people right now that work with bike flights on a monthly basis. The majority of our people are in the customer service realm. And so as we've grown the number of shipments, we add and we scale customer support. And they're the people that you're going to interact with the most if you use the service. In the corporate level, we've worked and prioritized communications probably the most. We brought on Sue George four years ago. She runs all our communications and our event planning and partnerships and things like that. And she's got a small team that's out in the field, but the programmers, the graphic artists, the things like that, that really make the drive what you see, you don't really get to see those folks. They're not really out. The majority of folks are going to be, go to the website, chat, call us, you're going to reach 19 people. And are they all centrally located there at a main office? You guys are based in Portland, right? We're based in Portland, but we all work out of home offices. And those home offices travel because we're also traveling cyclists. So our whole company is run off of a cloud-based contact system. So we have one of the customer service groups, Manambik in Vermont in Switzerland, and worked evenings because he's ahead, but was able to to ride a mountain bike and visit his family all day. So it's a pretty flexible workplace. We do have people in seven different states that kind of follow the sun. So that allows us not to have to work in the middle of the night. And still offer service seven days a week. Yeah, I mean, I've used your service and definitely have used the customer service because I screwed up on the original data input and they were fantastic. I mean, they helped get it done and definitely way beyond what I would have been able to do on my own by calling up FedExes and nobody that they care about in particular versus somebody who's shipping a lot of bikes. And I want to talk about how many bikes. So you said 500 the first year. How have you guys grown for year two, three, 10 yeah, we grew pretty consistently. First year, I think with just over 500 bikes, the first time that someone finds your website, is able to get through it, able to put their credit card in, you're able to take their payment successfully, create the labels and send them to them and they ship. It's amazing, right? The first couple of times you're able to deliver that. 
that was year one. We built this and we didn't have any money. We were totally bootstrapping. I leveraged lines of credit on the house, all my credit cards to kind of keep building. You know, it wasn't always like this. So about year two or three, we finally got to the point where the website would process 80% of the time. You know, the payments would go through. We'd quote correctly. We'd issue labels. The whole thing, like it worked, right? And at that point, we were, instead of doing 500 a year, we might be doing 500 a month. Right. And this is like year three. It's impressive to me that you had the mindset to just be like, all right, it works well enough. Let's get it out there and start letting people use it and stuff. Because obviously, if you're getting like an 80% final, you know, like the processing rate and all the things are working, you know, 80% of the time and you launch with that, obviously it worked well enough that people stuck with you. But was that scary to launch with something that wasn't fully fleshed out? It's not the fact that it wasn't fully flushed out. Like nothing that you ever put out there is fully vetted. There's always in today's world some sort of consistency or device that doesn't work with your system because the device didn't exist when you build it. The world is now mobile and somebody releases a brand new phone or a brand new device that wasn't out in the marketplace when you built something. They're supposed to have a certain done a certain amount of testing on their end and whatever browser functionality is recent, right? And so today, the world we live in is really almost about only three months old, right? It's everything is changing so much that the marketplace isn't the same. The competitor we have today, we might not have had three months ago. You know, the browsers that people are using didn't exist when you came out with that new version of the site. And everybody's working together trying not to break anything, right? People that are building browsers. But there is a certain part of with anything that when I say it worked 80% of the time, that may mean that it didn't work on old old iPhones or it didn't work on Samsung phones, right? Because their browser didn't work with it, right? Or there was an issue with a form. And so the shipment purpose, you know, like somebody could come to our website because if they couldn't get the website to work, they could call us. You know, you always have a back end thing saying, listen, if the site doesn't work, just pick up the phone and call us. We'll get you what you need. And so we always build in backup systems so that we could get the order. But people don't really have a whole lot of tolerance for that. Right. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And most people don't come back. So we got things really working the best we could before launching and before scaling. And at that point, we had the positive cash cycle, meaning that the customer X percentage of them book, we're able to create their labels and get them in service their, their needs. And then the carrier bills us. And so we knew that we could start to grow. We could do some advertising, drive people to the website that were cyclists like us that were likely to be interested in shipping their bikes. X percentage would buy. We'd issue the labels we could ensure their bikes got there on time. And this was year three that you became positive? Yeah, that was year yeah, three, four. Year one, we really didn't have a product. We formed the company and started building stuff. Year two was really the first year with real revenue, 500 bikes of revenue. It's grown. We've now shipped fifteen to 20,000 bikes a month, wow. not a year. So it's grown substantially. We will continue to grow. We have some plans to continue the growth in the U.S. and are really working now to launch Canada and the EU products. Yeah. So I've noticed when we get bikes into review for Bike Rumor that 
I'd say maybe a third of the time now that box has a bike flights label on it. So how much of your growth is coming from corporate accounts like that where I don't even know if these, I'm just going to use Cannondale as an example. You know, Cannondale ships all their review bikes and demo bikes out by bike flights versus individual consumers like me personally using it to ship a bike to and from an event. The industry has changed quite heavily during the eight years of bike flights or nine years of bike flights been going. The industry has changed or made a fundamental shift the last two years where traditionally bikes go out to demo or to consumers. A lot of times, you know, they would be shipped less than truckload or pick them up at a bike shop and things like that. And now that everybody's moving more consumer direct, the need for more and more manufacturers use bike flights because one, they're smaller companies. You know, we've seen growth on both the number of travelers that use us, you know, number of individuals, but we see more repeat use by some of our corporate cycling companies because they may be moving bikes around for demo. They might be moving bikes around for review, and then they're moving their bikes around for their own use. And so they have more opportunity on a yearly basis to ship, right? Because you're in the industry, you're traveling with your bikes. Oh, but you also have a couple of new models out that you want out for review. And so they're often more frequent shippers than the person who takes one to two bike trips a year. Yeah. And so as far as numbers go, what can you tell us about like how you make your money? I mean, you said you make a little bit off the insurance program, but it's obviously the bread and butter of your stuff is the shipments. So like how much do you mark that up? On general, we basically make a sales commission. We have negotiated rates. We keep a small portion of those rates and pass most of the savings on to the customer. Customers will save up to 50% shipping with us over if they were to do it themselves. They'll also get better service and better coverage in our premium product. From a revenue percentage, we run on small margins. It's a volume-based game for us. We want to ship 20,000 bikes a month because not only do we earn deeper discounts, but without those deeper discounts, we're not able to create or offer a service that meets the customer expectation. Customer expectations are pretty high with how much it should cost to get their bike from point A to point B. Because it's surprising how expensive it is when you don't use your service. I mean, literally, I saved almost exactly 50% when I shipped it out for the True Grid Epic. It was like on my own at the store, FedEx Ground was like 200 and something dollars. So I literally pulled up bike flights on my phone, did it, and within five minutes had the label emailed to my phone. Then I emailed that to the guy at the store and he printed it. And it was all of a sudden round trip was $200 instead of one way. I mean, it was super impressive at how well it worked and how quickly it did it. Yeah. So everybody has the expectation for the most part that if you can get your bike somewhere for, you know, the airlines have set the expectation and that's kind of the world we live in. For the most part, putting your bike on a plane is 200 bucks each way. For the most part, there are a couple airlines that offer it for 75 bucks. And so our goal is one, we want to be able to offer a $75 option. Across the US, we offer a couple different speeds for 75 bucks. And internationally, you know, that door to door service, you know, we're really happy. You know, internationally now, we ship bikes for 200 bucks door to door. So you don't really have to put it on the airline. We've worked with very low margins since we started basically knowing what the consumer expected. You know, again, that's that cyclocentric model. This is the price point we're trying to hit. That was really hard because it really dictated how much we could charge. It was kind of like, this is how much you can charge. 
for someone to consider taking your bike with them. Or after that, they may decide that they're going to rent a bike. You know, so like the consumer expectations have dictated our markups. It's by obtaining or earning and shipping more bikes that we were able to actually make a little bit more in margin because we actually ship more bikes. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that as far as competition goes, your competition is not necessarily other bike shipping services or freight shipping services. It's other options at the same price point, like using the airline or renting a bike at the destination or something. So I, I think that's just good for people to think about is that maybe your competitor is not always so obvious. You have to really think about what could somebody be doing besides using my service to uh, fulfill their needs. And then you got to be competitive with that. So interesting. Yeah. And, and that's how we set ourselves is, you know, like, what is it? You know, we knew what some of those things are. You have to always consider the options to using your service. You don't force anybody to use your service. We wanted to build a service that was so damn cool that everybody would use it and then tell all their friends. Hmm, right. Right. Like, hey, I use this. I can always ride my bike, you know, because everybody has a bad experience of the one time they rode a rental or all it takes is kind of like that one negative experience for someone to maybe try something else. And then also like, oh, I got my bike with me all the time. Yeah. Well, that's great. I can take my bike with me. Today, everybody likes their own stuff, right? And so part of that is designing a service that meets that need. Time for a quick sponsor message. If you're a founder, a parent, or have anyone counting on you for their livelihood or their well-being, then you need life insurance. And if you have investors, they may require that you have it. That's where Health IQ comes in. We all know we need to maintain our health to be an effective leader or parent, and we all like to save money. So if you're putting in the effort, why not let Health IQ save you money on your policy? They negotiate on your behalf with leading underwriters. Get a free quote and show your support for this podcast by going to healthiq.com slash build cycle. You might be surprised at how much you can save. That's healthiq.com slash build cycle. Thanks. And now back to this episode. You mentioned potential growth internationally and a couple other things, but I'm, I'm curious Growth outside of just bikes, like, do you think the name Bike Flights limits your growth potential? Uh, it does. We get inquiries all the time to expand to other types of sporting equipment. Hey, would you ever thought about doing this? And a number of us here ride bikes and ski, right? And a number of our partners, bike shops, switch over to ski shops in the summer or in the winter. That could be something we get into, but we've identified that there is enough cyclists out there that we could double again, you know, from a number of bikes moved, we could double our numbers in the US and then probably double again just by going to Canada in the EU. And that's a lot of growth. And I can't wrap my head around needing more. The fact that we focus on one particular niche and know it inside and out and are really specialized to that part, you know, is really appealing to us. I didn't necessarily start bike flights to launch just a general shipping company. Like I started bike flights to help people travel with their bikes. And one of the key things that's helped us succeed is focus. We see that there's enough opportunity for us to continue to sustainably grow and serve our core customer for the foreseeable future. And for us, that part of that is also having some balance in life. You want to ride too. It's not like don't only want to ship bikes all day long. 
right? It's like, right. yeah, we could we could launch another company, and it's a lot of work even to add another product to come out with our own bike box. Just adding another bike box is a lot of work to launch a whole nother company to ship another type of sporting good. It's not our top priority, and so we're trying to maintain that focus. Could someone else do it? Sure. We talked to a couple people that have started other shipping companies type of stuff in using different things. And that's not something we're interested in. We ride bikes. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. I think that's actually an important lesson. You know, like I suffer from having too many ideas and not enough time. And I actually make the mistakes of trying to pursue some of the other ones now and then. And then I get so stressed out and bogged down that I don't have time to ride. And I'm just a bear to be around for a bit until I realize, like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be doing this. And I just go back to focusing on bike rumor and the podcast. No, that's actually really good advice is just focus on what you really want to be doing and good at. And instead of coming up with the next thing or trying to grow bigger and bigger and you don't really need to is just enjoy life. Right. We have a luxury in the fact that we're running a successful business. If we weren't successful and we were already capped out, we've reached every single cyclist in the country. We know we haven't, right? Because we still go to trade shows and we still go out and we're talking to events. And some people know you and some people have never heard of you. Knowing how many new customers are coming to your website every month still shows you how much more there is to grow inside of your own space. But if we had tried everything and the number of new customers that we've been talking to was at an all-time low, like we've only got 10% new customers, right? We feel like we've talked to everybody in the space. Then you may want to consider doing something else. But we have a luxury in the fact that we still have a lot of people that have never heard of bike flights. and to continue to grow a little bit. We have the luxury of staying inside of our space, work our niche, and try to ride more. If the company was moving downward or not on a growth cycle, then yeah, you might have to consider those, but that's not the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah. What are two or three management or operational issues that keep you up at night? Oh, current news cycles keep me up at night in the fact that we run an online business. And the online business, if the current news cycle is being dominated by a whole bunch of relatively unpopular news, it stops everybody. It's not necessarily good for business. Stock market corrections, you know, like the world we live in is related to your business. And so if you see the world moving more together versus apart, together makes me feel better. More people working together, more trade deals working together. At the end of the day, we end up having to talk to customs a lot, right? Because we move bikes for people. You know, we've had a, a year or two of up and down chaotic news cycles. It's really hard to steer a business in that environment, especially an online one. You just kind of have to trust that you're making the right decision. Yeah. Is there a product or service you think would help with that? We use all kinds of data to help us make informed decisions. I reach out. We work with all our partners. We ask to see what they're seeing. The more you can talk to the stakeholders in your business and share with them, have a good working relationship with them, it's really helped us. Transparency without giving away all your secrets type of thing is really good. You know, we've got some perspective. I have a number of different folks, you know, that run some other companies that I rely on. I reach out to them, ask them what they're doing. And, you know, we share some stuff back and forth. So, you know, that kind of data is really good. Any advice you would give to entrepreneurs that wanted to start something similar to what you're doing? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's not something you do part time. You really need to be committed for the long haul. 
the character traits of you know a lot of entrepreneurs are you see something and if you're typically one that says you know what I really don't like that I think I can do this differently you still then have to put in like 16 18 hours a day to really make this thing work from the people that I've listened to that have been successful they all talk about how much work it was and what jobs they were doing on the side and then they'd come home at night you know and work on their idea I mean, my story is not too much different from that. Bike flight story is not too much different from that. We did a number of different consulting jobs to earn cash to fund bike flights in the evenings or to move it along and just to kind of keep moving it and developing it. And it's not been an overnight success. It has an extreme upward growth curve the last four years because you got stuff to the point where you could scale it. But until that point, since Interbike in 2017, it's been a nonstop sprint here at Bike Flights for everybody. It's a lot of work to get something off, well, first off, launched and then to really grow it. Our initial goal was to ship 5,000 bikes or way past that, right? And so you have to retool and, and kind of set different goals along the way and be all right to evolve. A lot of this you're going to figure out as you do it, and that's okay. Yeah. Right on. Bill, thanks, man. That's a lot to think about in there. And I appreciate your time, man. Thank you. Bill's parting advice is golden. Launching a business is not something you do part-time. You need to be committed to the long haul. You might have a great idea, but that's only the start. You've got to put in the hours, sometimes many, many hours every day to get the business off the ground. Bill worked and did consulting to pay the bills while launching bike flights, burning the midnight oil with his team to bring the project to life. When you see one of those ideas and think, wow, I can't believe nobody thought of that before, rest assured somebody probably did. They just didn't want to put in the work. Talk is cheap, so take action, even if it's just one small thing every day, and before you know it, the momentum will build and you'll be off the ground. The concept behind bikeflights.com isn't new. There are tons of local and regional cellular brands that offer low price packages built on the larger carrier's networks. So why would Verizon or AT&T let them do that? Probably because these brands can bring hundreds, thousands, or even tens of thousands of people to the table. So the big carriers are willing to open their network to get that business. Think about a service you use but you know could be better. How can you layer an improved customer service experience on top of it to build your own business? The upside is that you don't have to build the entire infrastructure. The downside? It's that you're building your house on someone else's foundation, and that could crumble at any time. For full show notes, links, and more, head over to thebuildcycle.com slash podcast. While you're there, send me a quick note and let me know who you would like to hear interviewed, what types of businesses you're launching, and how I can help you build something amazing. Here's hoping your startup takes flight. Until next time, keep building.